All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy day after Thanksgiving. I guess we call it Black Friday. I'm not much of a shopper, so I skipped out and used my fact that I had to do a podcast to get out of my shopping today. I know, don't tell my wife. She's going to be mad at me. Well, listen, we've got a great show for you. Maybe the day after Thanksgiving, you might still be in a turkey coma. I am, but we haven't let you down. We've got two amazing guests, two stories that you probably haven't heard of. Up first, the great journalist Jack Posobiec is going to be here today. We're going to talk about... Eastern Europe. Like, oh, wait a second. It's Thanksgiving. I don't want to be talking about Eastern Europe. There are some things going on in Eastern Europe you need to be aware of. You need to be engaged on. These are geopolitical moments that could affect American security, and, and we need to talk about them. Jack's here. That, of course, we're also going to talk about all of the flaws and challenges in American news media today. Wouldn't miss a chance to have that opportunity to talk that with him. And then we'll bring you closer to home, come back to the little tiny township of Ocean, New Jersey. That's right, Ocean, New Jersey, where we're going to introduce you to a Marine veteran, a 31-year-old Marine veteran, a dad who ran for office and won on the school board, the Board of Education in his town. An amazing story of this Marine, this parent, and an honest conversation with his community that led to him ousting some much more senior, long-term serving members of the school board. John McCarthy will be with us as our second guest. Two great guests, two great stories before we head into this long extended holiday weekend where we got football, I'm sure. Some leftovers, anyone say turkey soup? I know I'm gonna be eating that. Well, let's get right to it. We'll have a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Jack Pasibiak will be here. We can't wait to talk to him. A lot to discuss in the next half hour or so. We'll be right back after this commercial message. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer. No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. 
Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Happy Friday. I know you're recovering from your turkey coma, but we've got a guest to get you energized, get you thinking. One of the great journalists in America today, one of the most provocative thinkers in America. He always gets people talking and thinking. Uh, Joining us right now, the great journalist, Jack Pasibiak. Jack, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, I'm just waking up myself. You know, I was uh, we decided not to brave the Black Friday crowds this morning, so, uh, so instead I, I, I braved the John Solomon podcast. See, I'm hiding in my basement from my wife, who is determined to go shopping, and I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> so, well, listen, it's um, all, all uh, joking aside. You you do such amazing work, and a lot of times, you know, what I really like about you, Jack, and your your extraordinary work everywhere you've been, but now at Human Events, you know, one of the great magazines of the conservative movement, Ronald Reagan's favorite magazine you always have a way of leaning into something that maybe other journalists haven't yet found and that you seem to get to a point where others have missed and or have not gotten there yet and you've been talking a lot about what's been going on in eastern europe particularly between poland and belarus why should americans be focused on that what should concern us about what's going on there well, I think what's going on in Poland, and of course, you know, a country that's that's close to my heart, uh, Posobiec, uh, Posobiec, you know, we usually right. say in English, but you know, my family comes from uh, not, not too far from Krakow. And uh, of course, as we've seen many times throughout history, the instability of uh, Eastern Europe or the territorial disputes of Poland have a way of spilling out and creating larger wars, destabilizing all of Europe. Obviously, 1939 is a great example of that. Um, now, I don't think this is anything that we've gotten you know, I'm not saying we're at that point yet with Poland, but we are starting to see the same kind of instability there because Poland is really that sort of border region between uh, sort of the, you know, Russia and the Far East and then the rest of sort of territorial Western Europe. So that bulwark of Poland, Hungary, kind of the Visegrad nations really are that sort of heartland of Europe that connects the two sides. And so, of course, anytime you know, the great armies of the world, whether it be Napoleon or Germany uh, or, or the, uh, you know, Catherine the Great or Peter the Great coming out of Russia or Sweden coming down. It always seems to take place on the territory of Poland and Belarus. Yes. And of course, Ukraine is, is a huge player in that as well. They've gone back and forth over the years. And uh, my wife is actually, believe it or not, is from Belarus on the uh, other side of the border. But right. the used to be East, East Poland. And so, though I joke with her, I say she, you know, she was born in Belarus or excuse me, she was actually born, it was the Soviet Union. Her parents were born in the Soviet Union. Her grandmother was from Poland, but they're all from the same town, right? So these, these border areas are important. But what was going on in Poland most recently was that there were these Middle Eastern migrant caravans that had been flying up from parts of Iraq, from Turkey, in some cases, people who had been flying from Western Europe, going into Belarus, and then forming up this caravan, the same way the United States has seen these same types of caravan operations plaguing the United States southern border. Well, what Poland did, their response to it, I think, was very different 
So anything that you've seen, really Biden, and quite frankly, even Trump didn't go to this level. Poland militarized their border overnight. Wow. They, were, they were calling up National Guard. They even created a new, uh, they called it the Territorial Defense Force. And it's sort of like a National Guard for the Border Patrol. And they were taking volunteers, basically taking anybody who had military experience or had served as a police officer and had that type of capacity. I mean, Poland's obviously a much smaller country than the U.S. Sure. But to them, you know, controlling and maintaining their border is so important to them. Polish celebrities put an outpouring of support behind these guys, whether it be uh, UFC fighter champion Jan Blachowicz or uh, Olympian, you know, the Polish Olympic women's team was coming out in support. And the prime minister of Poland was very clear about this, Morbiecki. He said, the border of Poland is not just a line in the ground. It is sacred. This is our territory. This is our home. And so when I go to the Americans and I say, look, this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. This is what I want leaders in America talking like when it comes. You, know, you are not allowed to illegally enter that country. You want to come in. We have a process. But if you come in and you force your way in, we will defend our home. Yeah, it's such an important thing. And we often, well, certainly under the Biden administration, we waffle on this issue of a border. What border? You know, and we don't need to stay in Mexico. And they, they, they've taken basically every aspect of the Trump border protection strategy and weakened it down to nothing. But when you see that your border at, at a moment's notice can become a military threat to your country and you watch what Poland did, you really understand that borders should mean something and we should take them serious all the time, not just when it's convenient to do so. Uh, when you look at Europe now, and and you you know a lot of people forget this, but before your great journalism career, you were a naval intelligence officer, so you're used to uh, uh, analyzing uh, uh, threats. Uh, why is there so much instability and hostility and, and mischief going on in Eastern Europe right now? And is it a sign that our both our allies and our our frenemies and and adversaries see America as weaker than we were a year ago? Well, yeah, traditionally, you know, post-World War II, the main, you know, sort of guarantor of the common shared defense throughout Europe has been NATO. And, of course, the U.S. played a major part in that. That was something that Trump made a huge part of his presidency sure was did. actually strengthening yep. NATO, right? Asking people to pay more money, asking uh, countries to beef up their own defense. Of course, Germany was a big part of that. Um, and as well as installing the missile shield, this was something that had been um, originally talked about in the Bush administration, but then Obama had nixed it. Trump brought it back and actually uh, wanted to have an even bigger one. So this is um, the strategic missile interceptors that would be able to defend really all of Europe from anything from Russia, anything from Iran. You know, if some rogue actor is able to do something. These are the, the shoot down capabilities. Uh, or God forbid China was ever to to break out something. I mean, if you look at the Arctic Circle, it's actually not that far across from China, Russia, etc. Right. Europe. But when with Trump gone now and NATO really seeming like it's been becoming completely weakened, you do have to talk about the biggest geopolitical shift in all of Europe right now is the opening of Nord Stream 2. Yeah. What is Nord Stream 2? This is the new uh, gas pipeline between Russia and Germany. So this is something that the Trump administration had made a huge policy point about stopping uh, Grinnell was over there as the ambassador to Germany was fighting this thing tooth and nail. Poland was saying, no, 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 you can't do this. And Poland and actually several other Central European companies or countries were banding together and forming something they called the Three Seas Initiative. And they were purchasing, believe it, John, this is going to sound crazy. They were purchasing American exports in terms of liquid natural gas. Isn't that amazing? Into, into Europe, right? Now we're in a position in the U.S. where we have to, we have to dip into our own resources, our strategic uh, reserve, because we've basically restricted our own supply, whether it be cutting down on pipelines or cutting down on fracking. So again, you know, I, I remember I had this uh, professor in international politics, and I always kind of come back to this guy where he says, you know, uh, that old mystery line movie where they used to say, Cherche la femme, you know, look for the woman. He says, well, it comes to geopolitics. The answer should be Cherche la petrol. Look for the oil, look for the gasoline. And so you really do have a situation here where we've got natural gas and, um, and crude from Russia playing a huge role. And essentially, essentially what it is, it is weakening America and NATO's footprint in Europe. This means there has been destabilization. That means that Russia knows if, if they've got this pipeline going, they are not going to see a response from 
NATO or from Germany that's going to be as forceful because they can easily say, look, we're just going to shut your oil off. And it's the same, obviously, Belarus, very close to Russia under Lukashenko, specifically, even though he's not very popular publicly uh, within Belarus. Though, of course, if you look at his uh, if you look at his election results, you'd think he's the uh, you know the greatest leader since um, what Saddam Hussein's election results. And so, it really has been that that retraction of American power on the world stage that's led to new instability. And you're going back to a situation where it's like the great game all over again of the 1900s: who controls Europe, who controls the world island. Yeah, such an amazing conversation. And you know, one of the weapons of the mischief makers, the Putins and the Belarus leaders and others, is migrants. They've been using the migrant issue as a leverage tool to create instability, to create worry uh, at the border. And ironically, you see our open border and you wonder, boy, is this coordinated? Because all across the world, it seems like illegal migration or forced migration or is, is being used to create geopolitical instability. You read uh, the American public, you get your finger on the pulse every day. Have Americans flipped on the issue of this border? Are they up, uh, in a position to tell Joe Biden the border is out of control? We're not taking it anymore. Is this like critical race theory a few months ago? Do you think that the public is enough dialed in on the consequences of the open border to really create a political consequence in America? I think honestly, right now, there's so much thing, so many things that are in complete free fall in the United States that I don't know if the border is the number one thing on people's minds right now. And so it just that's the way I analyze it. I think really right now in the U.S., they would be more focused on the border if it wasn't for the supplies that they can't get on the shelves at Christmas time. Yeah. If it wouldn't be the, the sticker shock at the pump when they see gas going up and up, like, up. like I said, sure, the petrol right here in the U.S. Uh, where is it? We can't find it. And we can find it. We can't pay for it. Uh, and the fact that Joe Biden is coming out and saying, keep, keeps telling people, oh, it's just demand. It's actually, it's actually a good thing. <laughs> I like that, you know, because what was yeah. it, Jimmy Carter, when he gives his Malay speech in, um, what's that, July of 79? 79, yeah. Says, right. And he tells people, 42 years and four months ago, he tells people, oh, well, it's, it's your fault because it's consumption. It's overconsumption. You need to dial down expectations. And then Biden, he kind of gives the, he actually says the same thing because he's blaming it on consumption. But he tries to do it in an optimistic way. Well, it's good, you know, and Buttigieg is saying this as well. It's good because there's so much consumption and uh, that actually means it's good that our supply chains are falling apart. The prices are going up like crazy. Inflation is skyrocketing. You know, dollar, the dollar store is no longer the dollar store. It's now the dollar 25 store under Joe Biden. And so <laughs> it's the same deal with, with these energy. The buck 25 store. I got to go there tonight. I like that. Yeah, yeah it'll, be, it'll be a buck 50 by next week. <laughs> in a quarter shop, right? Sounds like you um, might want to, to buy that URL now and sell it to them. Yeah, we used to have, what, we used to have the 5 and 10 down at the Atlantic City Boardwalk. But, uh, you know, I, don't, I guess the 5 and 10 is probably the 50 and 100. But it, it really is getting to a point now in the U.S. where I think, and this is this is the reason that his poll numbers are completely in the tank and Kamala Harris's are even worse. Um, it, I don't think, and that plus Afghanistan, I think people really haven't internalized, at least here in Washington, D.C., where unfortunately I am, um, that I don't think this town really understands what it meant to so many people to see that just humiliation on the world stage, the way the United States military was essentially brushed aside by uh, foolish planning decisions. And then a resurgent Taliban who basically said, look, you know, this is our country and we're going to take it over and we will fight tooth and nail and you will never be able to defeat us. They have a fervent religious cause. And, you know, I worked with, um, Taliban members when I was uh, stationed at Guantanamo Bay as an intelligence uh, analyst. And, you know, you meet these guys and you might think they're nuts and you might think they're crazy, but one thing that they are is they're committed. And at the bottom line, you know, when we try these nation building programs, it doesn't work. But I think that national humiliation was something that certainly has reduced America's prestige and America's influence in all of these other areas. So we talked about Europe, this is the Middle East. And now we're also talking, you know, you can look at China vis-a-vis the Taiwan situation. Again, you've reduced American influence because now there's a situation where they don't think the American leadership is going to stand by their allies. Yeah, no, that is the big question. And and we may, the piper may be asked to be paid this time. And so we're going to have to see if, how, how we stand behind our allies over these next several months. Some very big moments in, in American foreign policy, I think, lay ahead of us. You have spent a lot of time analyzing the media and the failures of the media. Uh, you often get attacked for it. and and uh, But over time, history, I think, has shown that the corporate media, the mainstream media, whatever you want to call it, the establishment media, 
uh, have gotten one thing after another after another wrong. We can go through Russia and all the obvious ones, but this week I thought you did a good job chronicling a little bit of what was going on in the Waukesha, Wisconsin tragedy and the initial reporting on the suspect versus what we now know, whether it's a ring doorbell video footage or uh, the mayor saying, oh, I don't think he was fleeing. Uh, and then you find out that this guy was uh, on bail uh, just a few days before for doing almost the same thing, trying to run over someone. Why do you think the mainstream media gets these initial narratives wrong? I mean, we always know history is evolving and, you know, the first account of history is not always 100 percent accurate. But most times now the mainstream media seems to have it completely wrong on things like Waukesha, uh, the Rittenhouse trial, Russia. I can go through them. What What's your diagnosis? You play doctor for a second for a sick media empire. What What is going on that puts the media constantly on the wrong side of facts? Well, John, I, I think it's actually, and, and, and you have some background where you can explain this as well. It's, um, I used to, I have a buddy who, uh, who's currently serving in, a, well, let's just say a certain United States National Security Agency. Basically, yeah. a guy actually I met at Guantanamo. He was my team chief um, in the interrogation cell, and he was, you know, he stayed in, I got out, long story short. But we were having a conversation recently, and he said, you know, when I look at American media and the narratives they push now, it really reminds me of looking at media in one of these like third world countries or in some of these Eastern European countries, because you, you have to look at each outlet as being pushing a narrative that furthers the interest of either a certain oligarch or a certain intel agency or a certain political faction. And so this, this balkanization of the media is actually something that it seems unique in the U.S. because we're not used to it, but in other parts of the world, it's actually quite normal. It's actually the norm. And for some reason, though, most analysts, when they look at American media, they don't apply those same, you know, those same uh, scruples to it the way they would if you were looking at media and say, you know, Qatar or Ukraine or Somalia, right? But at the same time, if you apply some of that stuff and you say, well, okay, this outlet is tied to this agency, this outlet is tied to that oligarch, this outlet pushes these types of narratives, right. it really starts to open up a lot easier to understand why it is that, you know, we call it corporate media, but establishment press, or I've heard uh, uh, Steve Bannon says regime media at times. <laughs> and they do seem to line up and speak with one voice a lot. And there was sort of that, that joke that goes around that there's the, the, of the 3 a.m. talking points that get distributed to the media. And you, you can always start, hear certain politicians echoing those same talking points. And it, it's interesting because if you think of it through the, talk, the lens or the filter of the 3 a.m. talking points, so this idea that, you know, someone, you know, in the past they used to have that thing called journal list where all right. the, um, all the reporters in D.C. would get together and kind of synthesize what their, you know, angle would be on a story. And if you apply that filter to the corporate press today, it's actually quite illustrative. And it really does explain a lot of the, the decisions that they make. But I, you know, I saw one of those, um, you know, Internet uh, memes the other day, and they were talking specifically about Waukesha. And it was interesting because it says corporate press. We're not sure what happened. We're not sure if he had any motivation. We're still describing it. Internet. Okay, we know exactly where he was the day on the day of. We know what he had for breakfast. We know what his dog had for breakfast. We know this. We know this. We know this. All of his past social media posts, etc., talking about you know, these various um, extreme beliefs that he holds. And yet, it really is this dichotomy of people just say, "I think that people, quite frankly, are sick of that corporate model." And this is the reason that they want to shut down independent media and they want to shut down social media so much because they don't play ball and they really go for the facts. Look, you mentioned Kyle Rittenhouse. That's a situation, a seminal moment where the corporate press lied about this kid, lied about the events of that night for over 14 months, over a year. Meanwhile, look at the role that independent media played. Not only did independent media cover the events, right? Um, in after the fact, but actually in the moment itself, yeah. it was independent media from places like Daily Caller or The Blaze or Real America's Voice. These are the people who are actually there in that parking lot on that street filming the situation. Other people getting it out on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Getter and other places. We'll get her now. Uh, wasn't around back then, but this was what really, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure the lawyers were fine, but I really think it was those video journalists that were actually there, intrepid and courageous on the scene, putting themselves in harm's way, 
to get the truth out that won the day because you show those videos to a jury and you can all see what happened. But you go back eight years ago with the George Zimmerman case, there weren't videos of this thing or if there were, it was, you know, all the way down the street and you couldn't see much and really it was the autopsy that played the biggest role in Zimmerman. But in this case, you know, the autopsy was almost perfunctory because you can see everything that happened on video. You don't even need to take eyewitness statements because we have almost every single aspect of this on camera. And so one, so that's number one, why I think that it's so important that we need to support independent media and that way independent podcasts and journalists are really the thing that's going to bring us all into the future because, and this is the part two, guess what? One, George Orwell got a, got a lot right, but the thing he didn't get right was mass surveillance and the way it would work. So we've got mass surveillance now, but it's not all controlled by the government. We've got mass surveillance of each citizen is surveilling every other citizen all the time now, right? You've got your ring cameras. You just mentioned it in Waukesha. Yeah, Everyone's got there are no secrets. Out. Yeah, cameras out. So there are no secrets anymore. So we now have to sort of find independent guides who can sort of lead us through this new maze of where everything's on camera. And I think that you're starting to see different names, individuals, and voices come up through that independent model that have really made a name for themselves by just watching what's going on, looking at it dispassionately, figuring out objectively a way to analyze it and tell people the truth, as opposed to the former, you know, 3 a.m. talking point narrative model. Yeah. One of the things that I think people are going to come to grips with at the Waukesha case, every so often a case gives us something and you realize it's about something bigger, right? It, there's the tragedy, the lost life, the horrific scenes, the crushed families. But there has been a long overdue debate in America about a movement that George Soros and other people have tried to push. They believe this is the right policy for America, so they push it, uh, that uh, bail reform is important, that we shouldn't keep violent offenders in prison. We should let them home and trust that they're not going to go back out and commit another crime. It seems like bail reform is the the story below the uh, the Waukesha crisis. And do you think we're ready to have that debate in America? Are Republicans and conservatives armed with the information? Are we, are we willing to tell America what's been going out? You know, you're going to have a district attorney in New York City in a few weeks who believes everybody except first degree murderers and first degree rapists should be let out of prison do you think we're ready to have that debate in America? Well, John, what's really amazing to me is that, uh, you know, we just did actually a special investigation this week over at, and if I can plug it, it was on Human Events Daily yeah. on my podcast. Right. Where we, we're chronicling all this, and I go over the last five, ten years, I, I list all the DAs and where they're from, who they're funded by, and I've, with video, with statistics, all of this going through in, in minute detail, fine detail, of these policies they push. And now I, I refer to Waukesha as the bail reform massacre. Yes. And hopefully it's the only bail reform massacre. I hope it's not the first bail reform massacre. I don't want any of these to ever happen again, obviously. But it seems that in this country, one of the most untold stories of the Obama years was that it wasn't just that Democrats got soft on crime. It yep. was both parties they did. actually got soft You're on right. crime. Because that's when wokeness, and critical race theory really got started. The social justice movement got started. And Republicans were so scared of being labeled a racist or that word race. Oh, they're going to throw this word at me. So I've got to shift and I've got to dance and I've got to support everything I possibly can. And it's gotten so much to the point where Joe Biden, who is actually the author of the national crime bill, had to repudiate his own yeah. legacy he right, does. when he ran for president. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. He he literally built his career on the crime bill and then had a, a because of the pressure from AOC and others, he had to repudiate it. It's almost unthinkable. But you go through. But John, you know, what, you know, what's interesting is that politics might shift yep. and these media errors might shift. But you know, it doesn't shift. And that's human nature. Yeah. Right. There will always be a, Such a great point. This is something that we've always known about. It's something that's going on since. You know, when I when I read my Bible, I look at it not only as the instruction, right, the instruction manual for right. for life and and the next life, but also, you know, you look at the things that people were dealing with two thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, were the same types of human interrelationships and societal relations that we still deal with today. So it's almost like you can read it and say, oh, look, people were exactly the same the way they were then. You know, the technology is different, but the people are the same. And so with those same types of realizations. We have to say that, look, we can't just wish, you know, crime 
is going to go away. We can't just wish that violent crime will stop. It's always going to be a part of it, no matter what our, you know, uh, the best intentions of our good natures are. It's simply always going to be a part of society. And so the mark of a good society is how well you deal with it and how well you protect your people. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. And, you know, you can go back now and just do a simple Google search on Google and you'll see that there were, if you put the words in, defendant on bail when commits crime, there have been a lot of them this year, completely avoidable crimes. One in Palm Springs, you go all around the country, you can see them. I think Americans need to take stock of the fact that there is a human toll. I'm old enough to remember the 88 election and you know, George H.W. Bush was struggling, didn't look like he'd be able to succeed Ronald Reagan. Uh, Dukakis had the media's affection and love. Uh, there was the famous Wimp Factor magazine cover in Newsweek that really harmed George H.W. Bush. And then all of a sudden an ad came out called the Willie Horton ad. Willie and Horton, yeah. America just flipped on its head. And it feels like between the illegal aliens who were released into the country who have committed some heinous crimes, the guy who murdered his sponsor down in Florida, many others, and now these bail, uh, uh, free on bail, violent felons who commit second crimes while out on the trust of bail, that there is a Willie Horton campaign for conservatives to make. The question is, do you see anyone leading on the Republican side? Are they just as passive as they were back in 2013 when, when Obama pushed a lot of this? I think you're starting to see it. I think you're starting to see flickers of it, embers of it. Um, you just had a huge flip over in the DA in Suffolk County. Um, yeah, that's a big one. New York on Long, Long Island, 20 years, the first time. Or, I mean, this is the Hamptons, right? It's not exactly a bastion of conservatism. Yep, no, nope, not at all. Out in the Hamptons. No, I mean, this is the this is the rich of the rich, the hoity this, this is where Kamala Harris and Barack Obama go when they want to raise money, right? This is not a Republican nope, area. It ain't. Or Pete Buttigieg. And, and Elizabeth Warren, of course, is, is, is persona non grata out there. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, so you're starting to see that. Um, you also saw Tom Cotton. So Tom Cotton. Yeah, he's who, been on um, this issue. He has really been all over this. And he said that every single, and he said this by name, every Soros prosecutor in the United States should be investigated and recalled. And that was a very bold statement. And when I see a guy like Tom Cotton, who isn't exactly, you know, like a raging MAGA Trump Republican. Right. No, he's a traditional Republican, I'd say. You know, and going hard on these things. And I think he has really carved out a name for himself as a thought leader for the Republican Party. And it wouldn't surprise me that you see Josh Hawley coming in on this. Ted Cruz, of course, would be another one that I would see. So I think you really are starting to see a huge movement. And if people get behind it, I think that we can really start. Look, I mean, if you're on the left, I mean, it was a great idea. The commodification of DAs, you can remake the country at the local level where nobody's paying attention to all this money going into races. You know, it it always sort of felt, and I remember going back to 2016, Politico had an article about this. They you know, did. How George Soros and his allies oh, are, yeah. are reshaping American justice, right? And it always sort of felt like, like one of those stories that come out and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, save this one for later. I think something, you know, will come up because of this. But then Republicans, conservatives, they don't pay attention to it because they're not in there day after day plodding through the trenches. That's something that I do give the left a lot of credit for because they are always up to something. They're always working on something. They are always spending more money in a different direction. And then it's always the Republicans and conservatives who seem to be the ones that are playing cleanup and they take it as a win when they cleaned up something. But it's like, okay, you got to actually advance the ball forward sometimes. Yeah, such an important point. And uh, a lot of people, including Scott Walker, called out the Milwaukee district attorney who yeah, actually... John, Scott Walker has been, been all been over on this for years. Yeah. This guy specifically, too, Shisholm, because I think he, he launched some crazy investigation of him years ago. And it, I guess people really overlooked everything that he was saying, but it's the exact same guy and it's the exact same type of tactics that we've seen for years in these cities. But now, of course, the violence that's gotten so insane in our major cities is spilling out into the suburbs. And so people are finally starting to take more notice. I just wish to God it didn't take something like this for people to yeah. actually wake up. You want to catch these things before tragedy strikes. And unfortunately, too often we wait until... A tragedy strikes to to act but at least there's a moment now to have this debate and you've been on top of it since the moment this uh, tragedy occurred on sunday i've been watching your work and you you have been uh, highlighting a very important issue that i think has been below most americans radar so jack uh, one last step as you look back now what are the things that people should be watching we're heading into 
uh, a parent will come back from Thanksgiving and, and Congress will come back and try to get the the uh, big social spending bill done. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. There's a lot of um, uh, uncertainty about Manchin Cinema. Uh, Marsha Blackburn said there's other Democrats who are talking to her saying, I'm not sure I can vote for it. But what are the things that we should watch as bellwethers over the next few weeks that will kind of define the start of the 2022 election? Well, John, over at, over at Human Events Daily, one of the main things that we talk about on the podcast, one of the main things that we look at is Kamala Harris. Uh, I think it's no secret that there's no love lost between the two, but we've seen now so many, it, it feels like open warfare between her and the Biden uh, team. So I, I actually kind of joke around, I call it the, uh, the shade war between two administrations in the White House. This isn't a house divided. This is a house at war with itself. And so I think it would be very interesting because we know Kamala Harris, she's, in her own way, she's trying very hard to break out from Biden's shadow and kind of make a name for herself. Uh, obviously, it hasn't gone very well since because she's been trying to do it in sort of these other areas, whether it be space or futuristic technology, innovation. It's not working. I think that, that Kamala Harris will start at some point to make political calls that are divergent with Joe Biden. And once you start to see those, you realize that she is trying to assert herself. Remember, she wants to run in 2024, you know, whether or not Biden does, she wants to run. So it wouldn't surprise me if she's trying to set up a campaign to actually run as a vice president, run against the sitting president. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we wouldn't have seen that in a long time. Yeah, that, so that is a good one. We should be watching that. How about that? That is a great idea. And for all the great work, listen, uh, the Human Events has been around. It's been so influential. It's going through, I, I think, a rebirth right now. And your arrival there is such a big moment. Uh, how do fo- people follow the work that you guys do there, your podcast? What's the best coordinates for people to keep in touch with all the great work you're doing? Yeah, of course. Uh, um, so po- anywhere podcasts are found, you go to Human Events Daily. I like to say it's the cliff notes of every day. You know, we do 25 minutes a day. It's quick in, quick out. When I was in the Intel community, they always taught me, be good, be, be brief, be gone. And that's what we're always <laughs> trying to do day in, day out. And it's the same with Human Events. You know, we used to say that, you know, they say we're the Ronald Reagan's favorite news uh, magazine, but I hope one day they're calling us uh, Donald Trump's favorite magazine, Ron DeSantis's favorite magazine, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But funny enough that you mentioned that is that um, one thing that we are talking about, and, you know, we didn't have this done in time for this year for Christmas, et cetera. But one thing that I've been really saying internally is that I would love to see a print version of human events come back around and, you know, maybe make it a subscription thing where people want, are wanting to do it and you just get a nice, solid product that you can hold in your hand, yeah. good artwork, good quality, you know, the paper, like cardboard stock paper, uh, card stock, and like actually, and then just hard hitting articles that you're not going to find anywhere else. So that's something that I, I really believe in. And I think I think there's a space for it. I really do. Listen, people love handling handing great work. That's why books have never disappeared from the shelves, because sometimes holding it, there's just no replacement to having that incredible literature in your hands. And so well, John, not only that, but when you look at the censorship that's going on yep. right now, at what point are we going to go where Amazon starts taking books out of your own personal Kindle library? At what point are they going to start taking articles down from the Internet? You know, and so that's why we might have to go back to the days of, you know, Thomas Paine, Benjamin Rush, and Ben Franklin were kept printing presses out, you know, out by the stables. I can only imagine what our founding fathers uh, looking down upon us think these days. They must be shedding a tear or two watching all of the silliness that this great country's engaged in. But the good news is we have folks like you, Jack, on the front lines telling people what's really going on. And that is a huge benefit to the American public. The light of day is the best antiseptic we have to all the craziness. So thanks for what you do. And thanks for joining us. A great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Hey, man. God bless, John. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Yeah, as well. Have a good uh, good rest of the holiday weekend. Yeah, you too, man. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got one more fun story for the day. You won't want to miss this right after this commercial break. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. 
You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break, and we're going to wrap up this incredible holiday week with an amazing story. Yes, it's in Ocean Township, New Jersey. It involves a Marine veteran and an earthquake-like election result. Yes, one of those school board elections we've been talking about. Joining us right now is John McCarthy, a, a Marine veteran and the newest member of his town's school board. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, John, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate that. And uh, earthquake-like is is a wonderful description. I really appreciate that as well. It's very humbling. Well, we, we, we see all around the country the energy that was generated uh, by parents and by people in local communities concerned that their schools had gotten away from, that the curriculum had gotten away from, they'd been hijacked by uh, career bureaucrats, career school board members. I think the guy you beat was, what, 30 years in office, 35 years in office? So he was actually, uh, he, he was on a previous term, not 30 years in office, but definitely involved in in the, the different facets of the board of ed uh, around that time. But I was running against a ticketed group who had one individual, she had 37 years in office. My gosh. Uh, the, the other was actually the president of the board of ed while I was in the high school. So uh, <laughs> this is my hometown that I moved back to. And so she was my board of ed president when I was like a senior in high school. And she was wonderful. She was super supportive of my race. Um, but it was definitely an uphill battle. And I was running quite a, an interesting race against some real um, longstanding members of the Board of Education who had a lot of name recognition and a lot of support uh, across the town. And I had to really mobilize my own people to sort of get on the board and to, to make a splash. Yeah, it's such an amazing thing. We, we've covered races all over the country. I think it started in a small Texas community back in the spring. And and now you're beginning to see all of this new blood, this new ideas, this new energy and, and parents saying, hey, we, we weren't keeping a close enough eye on this. What was the key for your victory? How, I, what in your town resonated? What issues resonated to make this earthquake occur? Yeah. So the, at first, when I was running, um, I didn't really there, I wasn't sort of behind it, I was more asked to do it, right? And I was kind of like, hey, this is something that I want to do. Uh, I want to get more involved, right? When I got out of the Marine Corps, my purpose in life became my children. Uh, and it was wonderful. It was a great way to stay involved and to have a new meaning and a new mission to work towards, right? And then a friend of mine who was involved in the school came to me and said, John, I'd really like it if you ran for school board. The board is currently in a very contentious situation. They're not really getting along very well, and we're having a hard time getting things done, right? And so then I, I sort of last minute uh, that day, that day was the day petitions were due to the county clerk's office. And so I sort of last minute said, all right, I'll drop my petition thinking that I was going to be able to submit it electronically and then finding out that, no, I had four hours to get all of my signatures and get down to the county clerk's office. And wow. Submit That's a scramble. My, yeah. So, so I managed to do it, uh, get it all done. I get into the county clerk's office and then, and then honestly, what happened was after, and, and this is a really hot button topic, but but after the exit from Afghanistan, I sort of became evangelized, right? And I, I could see where people are saying, hey, how do you draw that to the school board? But yeah, what's the connection? 
Well, the decision for me was it's time to start thinking generationally, right? And there was a major issue that, that the system could decide that we would exit from Afghanistan in that way and that nobody would put up the red flag, right? And so what I thought was, hey, there's very few things that I can do right now to impact what is going on on Capitol Hill and what is going on in our executive branch. But what I can do is I can start to think way longer term. And I can start to think of generationally and think ahead and start to impact what I can in my world and start to build. And that became my focus point. And I was like, well, how can I build now? And, and I said to myself, thankfully, I've already put myself in this position to run. Uh, and then we sort of it, it was the the catalyst for us where we really ignited the campaign wow. and things sort of took off for us and we started to run very hard and managed to to get a lot of support in town. Yeah, it's amazing. And you, you picked some really interesting issues and one of them was you had a school resource officer, right? A special three officer, I think they call them, but he had to cover three schools a day. And your argument was with all we've seen and all the danger that schools have faced, let's have one for every school. Did that resonate? It did. It was a huge, huge point for a lot of the people that I spoke to. And, and my argument is we should not be measuring. I'm fortunate that I have a military background. Yep. Right? And I was an infantry officer, so I understand these concepts very well in terms of not force protection, but student protection now. Right. And so we should not be measuring the response time to some sort of incident in our school in minutes. We should be measuring that in seconds. Right. Yeah. That's a really important point. And so that started to resonate with people. Also, when you start to remind people, hey, during the pandemic, incidences of mass shootings are up They're comparatively. Up. Are. Right. And so we should be having these people present in these schools at all times. And People start to take that argument down the road of the Second Amendment and, well, we need to just get rid of guns completely, right? And so I always respond to people, hey, this is America. Look at what happened in the Prohibition. Whenever we try to outlaw anything, yep. it just makes a black market for it, and that causes a problem. So, yeah, I respect that maybe you don't like guns. I disagree with you there, but we can agree to disagree. That being said, we can all agree that the only way to respond to a person with a gun is to have a well-trained individual with a gun who wants to take care of them, right? So, and people don't like to consider these concepts because it makes them squirmy, right? Nobody wants yeah. to, they don't want to picture what could happen. Right. And yet, the probability is probably low that it could happen in your school. But guess what? If you're going to use the argument that we should have zero children in, in the ICU due to COVID, that argument applies to we should have zero children in the ICU due to a potential mass shooter. So that was kind of where we came from with that, and it resonated very well. And I'm happy to say the superintendent has already hired an additional special three uh, and there's going to be another one that is hopefully on the way. And so that's Isn't that amazing? before and, I take turns. And the election's yeah. not even a, a month old. Yeah. That's impact, brother. That's amazing. So when you look at this, another big thing, and I think, you know, law and order is an important issue that clearly resurrected itself in the election. So knowing that you had better protection, better office for protection in these schools was big. Tell me about the pre-K lottery system and how that played into the election, because that was another big issue that you made front and center as you ran. Yeah, so there's a huge discussion there, and this is a tough issue, right? Because taxes definitely come into play, and, and I'm always – the Marine Corps instilled in me that we need to be stewards of the taxpayer dollar. This right. is extremely important, right? Every cent should be accounted for. We should ensure that we are not wasting any money for our town, right? But then when we start to think about this – in a very local perspective. And I explained to you, hey, we want this town to be attractive to young families. Right. We want them to come here and to raise their families. And this goes in line with thinking generationally, right? So we need to start thinking ahead. One of the ways that we can do so is by bringing in this pre-K system and removing a lottery system that we had had previously, right? So it used to be they took 20 students from the, the highest tax bracket in town, 20 students from the middle tax bracket, and 20 students from the lower tax bracket across three schools, right? Now, who suffers from that? The person who suffers from that is not me, okay? I'm, I'm doing all right for myself. My family is okay. So if my child doesn't get into the town school, then I'm able to, to find some sort of private education for him right. and my daughter. Right. But the people who suffer are going to be those families, those working class families, those families who are in the lower income bracket, who if they don't have that option, they now can't send their kid to school. 
right? And so this is a tough issue because it does start to come into the taxpayer dollar. But then if we start to think about this from a perspective of our ability to build a town that is going to be attractive to young families, and I start to discuss with you what's going to happen to your property values when we talk about this, you start to become more interested in this conversation. And, And then in the end, what matters, right? We can argue about different programs that are put on by the state and by the town, but we can all agree that we want our children to have the best education possible. And if you start that education early, you are now giving an opportunity to really enhance the minds of young children who may not have otherwise received that capability. And we start that early. It can have great impacts later on in life, increased test scores. And so it's really a wonderful way to to enhance the offering that the school is giving. And it was a huge focus point for me. And I'm also happy to report that it's looking as though the lottery system is going to be removed next year. Amazing impact. And, and you know, it's interesting when you talk about generational impact, because a lot of people who've been career school board educators, school board members, career educators, they sometimes lose sight of the fact that, you know, when well, you're 20, 20 years, 25 years removed from having your own kids. But when we bought our first houses, right, we were looking for the place of our best school system for our kids. And that argument really resonates. But people who've been in for a long time, they sometimes forget that that was so meaningful to a young family. When what was the biggest surprise for you that when you as you made these arguments, you win? What were the what was the biggest learning and biggest surprise that you got from the electorate? I would have to say that it is it is this was my favorite surprise, right? This was the thing that I was very happy about. And I don't need to tell you this, John, right? But the mainstream media has a specific narrative that they want to tell, right? And so you can you can inevitably be bought into that at certain points, and you start to think. The, you know, potentially that this country is lost and yep. you start to wonder, oh, my gosh, what is happening out here? Do do Americans not value the things that we once valued as a people? Right. And there's always opportunities for division. But when I was out on the campaign trail and I was knocking on doors, I was resolved in the fact that Americans still value many of the same things that they did previously, right? And that it's only a vocal minority that is getting out and making it out as though this country is not the same as it used to be. And and yes, that doesn't give reason to sit at home on our couches watching Netflix. The changes that we need to make will not happen while we are doing that. But that being said, the average American still cares about the values that we all hold dear. They want apple pie and hot dogs and baseball, right? Those things, those are the things that we all can agree on, right? We just want a better life for our children. We want to be able to have a wonderful town that we can all call home. And we just want to know that there is this abundance of freedom for us to make decisions out here. And when I had somewhat been lost in that belief that that was still held dear prior to running, I started knocking on doors and just talking to my fellow citizens. And I felt so uplifted knowing that I wasn't crazy, that, that we all still do hold these things dear and we do care about them. Yeah, it's sometimes easy. That gets lost because the media tries to tell us, oh, we're divided, but we still basically have that. We Listen, Americans agree on 85, 90% of issues. It's the 10% that the media spends all day exploiting. Biggest lesson that you learned, right? You're a, young, you're a Marine veteran, young parent. You're, you're trying to move into politics and have an impact on your, your community's education system. One of the things that looked really clear to me and looking at the race from afar is you didn't let the media define your issues. You defined yourself. You were never on defense. You were always on offense. What are some of the other lessons? If you're a parent listening today and you're like, hey, I love what John did. How am I going to do this? What's some advice you might give a parent who who uh, to take who might want to take this plunge? Yeah, so so I am I'm a registered independent. And uh, my town is a nonpartisan town and the election is a nonpartisan election for the school board. Right. So I definitely came in here with the young maverick like attitude as saying, hey, I don't need support. I don't need anything additional. I'm going to do this all my own. Right. And I can I, I can be a one man Rambo, you know, coming in <laughs> here to handle it myself. Right. Right. Well, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And. I learned right away that if if you want, and I've always said this, right? We all want to be the man in the arena. We want to be the one who knows that they're not going to be watching and, and not knowing if they will either ever know victory or defeat. We want to be the person who is actually trying, who's, whose face is marred by sweat and dust and blood. At least I hope that we do. But 
you don't get into the arena without a massive support system, right? You look at an athlete or a gladiator, right? There's there's people that are training them. They're, they're training partners. There are coaches. There are advisors. There are all these people who bring them there, and then they are the same people who carry them off in victory or defeat, right? So for me, I really learned, hey, I got a lot of advice from local people in the town who had either been on the board before or who had decided that they were going to go do bigger and better things. And I did get a lot of that support and it really was a huge help for me. And I probably wouldn't have been as successful as I was had I not received that support from people who existed in the town, existed in the system and really cared about me mostly because I I think a lot of them, they didn't totally need to qualify my ideas or my beliefs they really just were so happy that some young kid was coming out here and saying i want to be involved and so i think that that i learned that hey if you're young you want to get involved there's a lot of people who want to support you so don't think that it won't exist for you if anything i think the the old guard is looking for the next generation to come in and it's it's almost like we just need to to pick up the mantle. We need to take it up and decide that this is our own. Um, There definitely will be resistors who don't want to hand over control, but there's a lot of people who are like, hey, they're also thinking generationally and they want to hand it over and let you have an opportunity. Yeah, such a very important piece. And that connection to your voters, your constituency, that's the thing that makes elections work. When when, um, a political leader is dialed into their community, they, they are constantly getting the pulse of the community, and that makes them just better, uh, all around better. The Do you think this energy, this movement that began, and I think a lot of people, it began with the pandemic when they realized, hey, I haven't been paying attention really what's going on in my kids' classroom, but oh my gosh, what's going on here? Hey, do you think this is a lasting movement, that this isn't a blip on the radar, 2021 blip, but maybe a five or 10-year movement of young parents, a generational change in school boards? I think so. And I can't take credit for the same. My, one of my best friends who uh, I actually record my own podcast with, he, he coined this term that I really love. And he said it was mama bear energy, right? Like <laughs> you, can't, you can't piss off mama bear. Yeah. You can do a lot of things, right? You can, you can botch a departure from Afghanistan. You can botch the way that you're handling the pandemic and put out ridiculous mandates, right? But when you start to impact the little cubs, the baby bears, mama bear comes roaring out of the cave. And I think that that is what has happened here, right? We have seen that people are saying, hey, we will allow the government to do certain things, right? But the the government, you know, you talk a lot today, John, and I I respect it about bureaucrats. And sometimes I think I'm the only one who understands that concept because I bring up the way bureaucrats operate because I worked with a lot of them in the Pentagon and I've seen a lot of them in my time in the military, right? Sure. We have these bureaucrats who are sitting there and they're doing whatever they want and they forget that the government rules with the consent of the governed, right? And so that is a huge point that a lot of people forget. And when you piss off mama bear, she's going to come in and say, hey, you're not allowed to rule anymore because I'm reminding you that this is a representative democracy. You've been elected by the people. And this is another huge point that I think a lot of people forget. It is a call to serve. You are a servant. This is servant leadership. You are serving your constituents. And if you forget that, then I promise you will be corrected, right? They will come out. Now, unfortunately, it seemed to have taken a lot recently, but a lot has happened. And people have had that opportunity to pause, reflect and say, I will not allow this anymore. Isn't that amazing? That moment of pause and now, boom, it happens. The... Um, uh, and this will be the last question because I know I, I, I want to let you get back to work. But as you, you look now, do the bureaucrats get a message from these elections? Do these people who have worked for 20, 30 years? And I don't doubt for a second that they, they believe they have the best interests of the children. That's why they got into this. But at some point, they get so insular to their culture, right? They're used to, they become an echo chamber to themselves and they forget, well, hey, there's a parent out there. Maybe I should be consulting with them. Do you think the... Uh, permanent bureaucracy in school boards, permanent bureaucracy in school establishments got a message. Clearly your community did because they're already reacting to your ideas within a few weeks of your election. But is there a broader message and how receptive are the, the, the permanent, you know, education bureaucrats to the idea that maybe there's some change, maybe there's been some disconnect that has to be resolved in America? 
I think that this is happening in a lot of places, right? There's this, there's this, you can only tell someone that they can't innovate for so long, right? And, and I'm, you can say whatever you want about the man, but, but Elon Musk is an individual who has innovated across industries. Oh, without right? a doubt. And he's been told every step of the way, you can't innovate. You can't, you can't change this, right? You can't land a spaceship back on Earth. If you could, NASA would have done it already. You can't make an electric vehicle that's going to go 450 miles. If you could, then GM would have done it already. Right. And he ignored these people and said, no, we can do these things and we will, right? And so I think that what needs to happen now, and I think that the message that was sent by the state of New Jersey and the state of Virginia in this recent election is, hey, it's time to innovate. We're going to start to figure out new ways to interact in the school system. The parents are going to be involved. I mean, I don't I don't need to I prefer to remove party politics from our school system. But there was one thing that, that Governor Murphy got kind of ripped apart for. And he said that the that parents don't need to be involved in what's being taught in the classroom. Right. And Jack Chitterelli, who was running against him, said that's absolutely wrong. Right. right? You absolutely the parents need to be involved in what is going on. There are values that need to remain at the kitchen table. And then there are lessons that need to be taught in the classroom and parents need to be aware of it. Now, there's a there's a this is a two way relationship. That's right. The parents also need to take ownership. And this is a huge point. So it's not only, and I think this is what we're seeing, right? The bureaucrats not only need to be open to having the relationship externally, but the parents also need to take ownership of, hey, I'm going to get involved. I want to call this teacher. I want to call this advisor for this certain department in the school. I want to talk to the principal. I want to know what specifically is happening. And if I'm not getting the answers I want, well, then please Come to the school board meeting, talk to the superintendent, and speak to the members of the board so that they can address your concerns because it does go both ways. It does. There's no doubt about it. And uh, that that two-way street is the next part of this, right? But parents got an upper hand, but now they got to realize they got to work with the folks and and try to get both sides on the same page. And I think that that's going to be that dynamic of 2022. It's going to be so exciting to watch. John, congratulations first on your, your success, and thank you for your service to your country as a Marine. We're all grateful for that. I think what you've done in your town in New Jersey is is going to resonate across this country. You've probably inspired other people. And I can't wait to see what you achieve when your first year in office. I really appreciate that, John. And you know what? I, I had said I got an opportunity to speak at the uh, the Veterans Day ceremony in town recently. And I my comment was, I don't know that people should be thanking me for my service. I should be thanking them for what they've given me and for making this a nation worth serving. Right. Wow. And what a profound thing. This whole theory of mine is that we need to continue to make this a nation worth serving because 20 years from now, there might be some young man or woman in a fighting hole who needs to know what they're fighting for. And so I think that that needs to continue. And I hope that we all continue to work to make this a nation worth serving. Yeah, that is something that we all need to do a better job. at. I think we've gotten so much division going on. We sometimes forget it's a still even with our worst problems, the greatest country that man has ever created. And um, you're, you're, you're living proof for that, John, your service and your continued services inspires a lot of people. So congratulations. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show to see what what sort of uh, progress we're going to make in your town and across this country with this great school board movement that has begun in America. John, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It was an honor to be on the show and I'm, I'm happy to come back whenever you'll have me. We'd love it. Thanks again, my friend, and good luck. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the weekend right after this commercial break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
All right, folks, welcome back. Yep, it is time to say goodbye for the week. What a great week we've had from Alan Dershowitz and, and Jack Pasibiak and John McCarthy, all the great guests, Senator Marsha Blackburn, who made a lot of news on the podcast earlier in the week. We're very grateful for everybody listening, participating, allowing themselves to be interviewed. A great week, a lot of news over the weekend. We'll have you covered on Just the News for all the breaking news. So keep an eye on that. And we'll be back next week with some big stories, some big scoops. You're not going to want to miss them. So tune in and stay on top of everything going on at justthenews.com. We'll see you on Monday with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast, of course, from Just the News. Until then, may God bless you on this great holiday weekend. And may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States, as he always has. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.